Welcome to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, observations of life, written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. Steve Sherlock here. Welcome to our, what will be the October broadcast for the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group, the Senior Scribblers. It is autumn or fall. Some of the leaves have not yet started falling. I've started seeing some of the leaves start changing color. Mm-hmm. So we're into that time. Seasons change, colors change, temperatures change, and we're going to share some writings, new, old, but just share because that's the important part. And a quote that I found that I liked, I'll share as well to start. So we can kind of imagine ourselves out beyond ideas of wrongdoing or right doing. There's a field. I'll meet you there. From Rumi, an old Sufi poet, much translated uh, into English. So credit to the translators. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing or right doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. So in the audio space, we're coming today (laughs) to meet and share. Let's do a round. So for the people who are listening, they'll know who we are. As I introduce myself, I'm Steve Sherlock, and we have... Alice Judge. Faith Flaherty. Joe Ewald. Bill Wiley. Indeed. And credit to Keith, our engineer, for recording the quality of our voices. (laughs) (laughs) So who wants to begin today? Go for it. Go for it, Faith. All right. The title of this is The Parable of the Lost Wedding Ring. It's Labor Day, the holiday that unofficially marks the end of summer and a start to the shifting of gears into wintering boats, closing summer cottages, the putting away of summer clothes, starting school, and even thinking of Halloween costumes. The weather, however, wasn't ready to switch gears. No, the weather was a balmy 80s, even hotter in the sun. And since the Cape gets the Gulf Stream, the water temperature was in the 70s. Heaven take note. Taking advantage of the perfect weather, the family sailed to Washburn Island. The only people on the beach were people that come by boat, making it one of the least populated beaches on Cape Cod. That's the attraction. We almost have an entire beach to ourselves. This time, the family brought every beach toy that wasn't nailed down. Beach umbrellas, blankets, beach chairs, towels, hats, flippers, snorkels, balls, frisbees, pails, shovels, body boards, tubes, paddle boards, pails, shovels, fishing poles, fishing lures, nets, and a partridge in a pear tree. (laughs) I'm kidding about the partridge, but we did have a flotation tube shaped like a swan. (laughs) We settled down for the day. Music played on the kids' MP3 player. Grandpa drank a cold one. The children took off down the beach with pails and nets. The boat was secured by the anchor buried deep in the sand. The children's father took his fishing pole and waded deep into the channel by following a sandbar. That sandbar stretched out into the ocean. Even I was curious enough to follow its length out to where the water temperature cooled and the color of the water changed from sea green to dark blue. Turning around, the shore looked so distant. The children in all their happy glee came, splashing, swimming, and screaming towards us. 
It was fun to be out so far from shore. Everyone but those fishing played frisbee. We watched and ranked with scores as the kids tried handstands underwater. They tried synchronized swimming. In other words, we played for hours. We ate lunch and walked the shore looking for shells and interesting rocks. There must have been a storm because there were a lot of seaweed, horseshoe crabs, and other ocean debris. Washburn Island is between Martha's Vineyard and Minot Beach in Falmouth, Cape Cod. In other words, it's pretty much protected from the ravages of hurricanes and fierce storms. But still, even though it was September, we all could feel the burn from the sun. And the sun was getting to us. And the kids were getting cranky, and the beer was running low. The tide was coming in, and the anchor had to be moved higher up on shore. Time to think about heading home. It was then that Grandpa noticed that his hand felt different. Something was wrong. His wedding ring was gone. The original ring from 51 years ago wasn't on his finger. He was distraught. Everyone traced their steps, but everyone felt that he must have lost it out in the water. We were playing with the kids and throwing balls and frisbees and even tossing the kids in the, into the waves. Then the sand out there was mucky. Yucky, mucky, mud. No use looking there. We were at a loss as what to do. It was a long, sad journey back to the cottage. We had looked. We prayed. The Catholics prayed to St. Anthony. The Jews prayed to Rabbi Meir Baal Han's prayer. And the other religiously impaired found themselves praying too. There's nothing else to do. Everyone had given up. There was no hope. I was there. Later on one day, Uncle Toby was out quahogging. He was raking up the mucky sand and dropping the quahogs in his peck basket when he heard a shout. The fellow who was near him had found something. Toby went over and saw something shiny in Raphael's hand. It was a ring, a wedding ring. Grandpa correctly described the ring and the inscription inside. Grandpa called the family, friends, and neighbors together and said, Rejoice with me because I have found what once was lost. No one likes to lose something that we once had, and certainly not something that you've had for over 50 years that has sentimental value. Monetarily, it may be a small loss, but it bothers us, and to Grandpa it was a monumental loss. If we give something away, we probably wouldn't miss it. We might even feel good that somebody else is enjoying it. But when we lose something without knowing how, the loss is irritating, and sometimes the effort we make to recover the loss is out of proportion to the monetary value of the lost item. And if it is of sentimental value, then no one can really understand the depth of the grief Grandpa felt. See, we speak of money and material things as treasure, but there are other more valuable treasures. One may even consider this fact as one of the proofs that God exists. If the treasures we hold near and dear to us did not exist, then God would be unjust, because most people do not achieve material wealth. There are treasures of the heart and soul that cannot be measured or explained. These are the real riches that only those who have true eyes can see and understand. Very good. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, some things that value um, can't be measured. 
No. Mm. And what's a wedding ring? A couple hundred dollars. Yeah. 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 yeah it's just the f- inscription and everything. What was the inscription? Just the name. Just our initials. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. You know, lots of times you hear maybe five years down the road, you know, a dog comes home, or um, maybe somebody finds a wedding ring and really goes, um, maybe they don't know the person, but they get on Facebook or whatever to find them. Yeah. And uh, there's a great reunion and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of easy if it's a high school ring. And because those have the year. Oh, yeah. So you just have to yeah. go to the high school and look up Does the graduates in that year. their high school ring after a while? I mean, I can see maybe a college ring. I don't think they have those nowadays. Do they have high school rings now? I, I don't they know. Do they? I haven't heard of it recently. <laughs> Keith, I don't know. Keith says yes. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, after a while. I don't even think they bother with college rings. So, yeah, but that's a lovely story. Yeah. Thank you. Want, want me to go next? Sure, Bill. Sure. I think you've got something on the Beatles today. Girl boy, girl yeah, boy. I've got a Beatles-related poem, <laughs> and I might read another one, too. This one is called uh, A Hard Day's Night. I feel so happy we got together. I will hold you tight and make you feel better. You are on my mind all day long. You are like hearing my favorite song. Must be a Beatles song, that is fact. Can't buy me love, or you can't do that. Or how about the long and winding road, or even maybe I'm amazed. I know for a fact, in my life you will stay. Beautiful lady, you are so divine. We will be together till the end of time. You keep me on pins and needles. You are number one, I love you more than the Beatles. We will sing and dance, and you are such a treat. You are so beautiful, you can't be beat. I think of you every minute. You are my world and I want you in it. I will write a poem, I will sing you a song, but oh my darling, with you I belong. If I am yours, then let it be. The pleasure is mine for you to see. You bring the light in the darkest night. So I will say goodbye, it's been a hard day's night. Uh (laughs) That one came out pretty good. I'll read, I'll read one more. Sure. I call this one, You Are Like a Beautiful Flower. You are like a flower who has bloomed into a beautiful woman before my eyes, but it does not take me by surprise. Because you were so beautiful when I first saw you, the lady you've become, your beauty shines through. Your beautiful eyes, your beautiful lips, it makes me want to do a double flip. But if I did that, I would be on my back for a week and it would be you that I would seek. Your beautiful black hair that flows in the wind. Let's get together because both of us will win. Right from my heart, my words flow out. I'll sing you a song and I'll scream and I'll shout. I love you, I love you, there is no doubt. So my sweet darling, I need you right here. I'll whisper my love into your ear. Our love will bring us to the top of the mountain and down below into the fountain. We will be soaking wet as we sit in the water. We'll splash around just like an otter. Great. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. That was funny. It rhymed. I, I try to throw rhymes in, in there. I try to throw in comedy occasionally. Yeah, yes. nice. But anyway, let me tell you about my story. Monday I went to Trader Joe's. 
it was cool in the morning, but by the time I got to Trader Joe's, it, the sun was out and it was going to be a warm day. I parked, and on the way to the store, I saw a fire engine red convertible with ivory seats and ivory top. And um, if you're ever uh, with me for more than five minutes, you know that I, I had a, um, a car of all times, fire engine red, super sports Chevrolet Impala with black top, convertible top, and black bucket seats. Mm-hmm. Well, man, that was that was something. But you know, on an aside to that, I don't remember what happened to that car. <laughs> I'm sure I drove it everywhere. I mean, that was my car. I got it from a dealer in Needham, and as I'm pulling out, I'm at the light. There's a cop over here in the corner. I must have had a smile on my face like I had. I was in heaven. Mm-hmm. And he yelled over, that's a pretty fancy car. And I said, I just got it. <laughs> so anyway, this fire engine convertible reminded me of that and brought back that wonderful time. But needless to say, I went in to shop. An hour later, I come out. I've got all these bags in the cart, and right in front of me is this woman, about five feet tall, blonde hair, little chunky. I'd say she was in her late 40s, early 50s. And um, so she stopped, and she was going to put her bags in the truck. And, you know, thank God she didn't hear my tone, and I'm... I'm ashamed of myself for my tone, but I said to her, is that yours? (laughs) (laughs) Is that yours? And I'm glad she was so happy with the car that she didn't notice. So she says, yeah. So we got to talking. She had a mechanic. She said she she has the top down all the time except in the winter. Her mechanic found the car at an auction, told her about it, and she bought it. She then told me that she had an ex-husband that was a Cadillac dealer, and he swore that Lexus motors were wonderful. And this car that she has has a Lexus motor. Now, I know nothing about motors, nor do I care about motors, to tell you the truth. I only want to, I only want to um, you know, turn the car on and have it go. So anyway, we talked another, she told me her ex-husband, their, their house was in her name. And so her ex-husband wanted her to sign the house over to her. So I said, well, is he going to give you half the money? Oh, no, 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 he won't do that. So then we switched. uh, She got back to her car. She says, I go to Newport, Rhode Island, and I drive by the beaches. I drive the convertible. (laughs) So anyway, I said to her something really fresh. I said, um... 
oh, do you pick up guys? <laughs> and, <laughs> and she says, no. <laughs> so um, anyway, that I wasn't going to tell that part because that was kind of, you know, stupid of me to say, you know, but I think I'm back as a teenager, you know, so what can I say? But anyway, um, so we talked, we talked, and she opened the trunk, and it was huge, and and uh, she just loved it, and uh, so I said, well, it was nice talking to you, and she said, same here, I said, have a good day, it was nice breezy, nice breezy day, so uh, I could just visualize, you know, her in the convertible with the hair blowing and the wind in her face, and it was great. So anyway, that got me to thinking about cars that I have known. In fact, that was the name of my story. And actually, I tried to count them the other day, but there's too many to count. <laughs> so I will just give you the highlights of the cars that I have owned. When I first got my license, my father loved Chevrolet. So my first two cars, one was a Bel Air, and uh, the second one was the um, red fire engine, red uh, Impala. So then the next one I got was an Opal. Now, I I don't know how how... Of course, it was fire engine red. I don't know how long the Opal was around because I never heard of anybody that ever had an Opal. So maybe it lasted about a year, but it was a good car. It was brand new. It was a good car, and it served the purpose. I worked in Waltham at the time, and it got me back and forth. So then after the Opal, a friend of mine was selling her Volkswagen Bug. Now, you have to remember, this was a while ago, for $500. And I said, well, I don't drive a stick shift. So she said she would help me and show me how to drive it. So she did. So I had the Volkswagen Bug. So I had that for a few years. Then all of a sudden, it would start sometimes, and it wouldn't start other times. The Volkswagen Bug was great for parking, because it was so small, <laughs> you know, you could fit. Uh, so anyway, uh, I lived at the time with two other roommates, um, girls, and uh, we had a duplex house in Newton. And the um, the driveway, the double driveway, had an incline. So it, th- this is what I did to start my Volkswagen. I would park, I would not have to park on an incline. So then I would try, if it didn't start, I would open the door and I would take my foot and I, like a scooter and I would, and it would start. It would go down, it would start to move and it would start. So I don't remember how many years I did that, but but anyway, but um, so... Then uh, there was another Chevrolet. This was when I was going to get married. It was an old Chevrolet convertible, but I didn't dare put the top down because I think I paid $100 for it. 
And I didn't think that I could get the top up again. <laughs> so I rode this for a while, a while. And um, pretty soon, you know, my friends would come with me, would hang out or whatever. The floorboard on the passenger side was all the way through. And you could see the road as I was driving. <laughs> and, uh, and my friends would have to straddle their legs. But, of course, I thought I was going to wealth since I was getting married very shortly. So, <laughs> so anyway, so I don't know quite how, how I get rid of these cars. But, anyway, somehow I did. My husband, my new husband, had a had an old Oldsmobile. And then once we started having kids and stuff, all we did was get old cars. <laughs> because um, So they were always in the shop. I was home with the kids, you know, which was wonderful. So I'd have to take care of them. And it was terrible. And it seemed like when it was in the shop, it was really... They took their time. Then as the years go by, my daughter needed, we had a new Nissan, and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, she didn't have a car. So we gave her our Nissan. Very shortly later, she was in a four-car, she was in the middle of a four-car accident. She was fine, thank you, God. And, uh, but the car was totaled. So going on a few years, my son is going to Los Angeles for his last semester at Emerson. He's going to be in Los Angeles. He finds two, out two weeks before he has to have a car. We had a, uh, we had a Camry at that point. So we give him the car. He's got to drive back and forth to Los Angeles. That car lasted him. He went to Texas to visit a friend. He went here, you know, and so we ended up having to uh, lease a Corolla because we still liked um, Toyotas. So anyway, um, it's been an adventure. There's lots of other cars that I had in between. A car to me, you know, uh, is a necessary evil. It's just like the cell phone now. So you you have to have one. And um, right now I have a 2010 Civic. And my daughter went with me. Well, we've all suffered through car dealerships and guys that want to sell you a car. So this guy is talking so rapidly you know, so rapidly, and he's talking to my daughter. And I said to him, "Hey, I'm the one with the mo- I'm with the one with the money. So talk to me." Without batting an eyelash, he he reverts back to me. But he was just too. He talked a lot, and for some reason there was an intern there, and for some reason he had to leave. And so my daughter says, "Let's get out of here," you know. So the intern said, wait a minute, wait a minute, he'll get into trouble if, if you leave. So he goes to tell the guy. So all of a sudden, the guy comes back. Oh, he's as sweet as can be talking to me, you know. 
And uh, I just hate dealing with um, auto dealer, uh, you know, guys that are selling you a car part. I have, uh, uh, you know, the Honda Civic now. It seems to be going well. And um, so it may be, I'm just keeping it for whatever, however it lasts. And uh, if I ever need to get another car, I will make sure that the um, that the floorboards on the car are, are adequate. It'd be interesting to find out how many cars were missing <laughs> that you left out too at some point in time. If you can get back to remember all those, I'm sure they each had stories of their own too. Just you know, not as memorable because you couldn't recall them right away. Anything is something to write about. This is also true. Yeah. This is also true. Can you follow that one, Joe? Yeah, I think I can. I'll be I'll be short and sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like what you said before in that quote is kind of like part of my story about the field of uh, wrongdoing and rightdoing. Okay. So hopefully my story will end up in a place where we can all meet. And I think it's about... And I got inspired about the events that happened yesterday, bad and good. You know, the tragedy in Russia with the, um, the assault on one of the elementary schools from grades 1 to 11. And the first day of school for the new Boston superintendent, Mary Skipper. So it's all about, I don't know, I went to parochial school my first five grades, and um, I fell in love with reading, and um, that has carried over to the present day. But then I get in the sixth grade, my parents ran out of money because we had a large family, and she was trying to put everybody through parochial school, and um, some of us were at, you know, the large end of the scale, and so, we had to go to elementary school, which is like night and day, where hazing does exist. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk about was that. And it, when you're like so, somebody like me that's sort of like a nerd, you get picked on in public schools. That doesn't happen in parochial schools. And we talk about evol evolution and I graduated in 74, and it was just hazing back then was, was dumping your books, getting into your face, hitting you, I mean, not to the point where you had to go to the hospital. And mm. it evolved into 1999, where those two kids couldn't take the hazing, and they reacted in a different way by using guns. And that's when the whole thing started. You know, monkey see, monkey do, and that's how kids these days, respond to getting picked on, and it ruins your high school experience, and now public schools are gonna be forced to having gun detectors, extra police. You don't see that in parochial schools, but in order to get into parochial schools, if the right doing and the wrong do, you have to have money. And um, I don't know what you can do about it, but hopefully, the public schools, this new suit, it's all about the quality of education and keeping kids under control and being aware of hazing. 
And I think if they do that, you'll see the gun violence go down. You don't see that in parochial schools or prep schools. And kids wear, wear ties in parochial schools. And what do you see for successful people wearing ties? So I don't know if there's a connection there, but I thought I would, I would mention it. But anyways, um, hopefully um, people that are in the education field will be aware of what's happening and we can find the right place in the field, Steve, like you mentioned before. So that's my little story about schools. Good, thank you. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. Yep, it all goes to what we do here, you know, reading and writing being so um, encouraged by, by reading that we have a, um, an urgency to write. I've got a, since this is going to be broadcast during October, I went into my archives and just pulled up the keyword of October. So I've got five short shirku little stories around oh, them. Oh, good. But, um, first one is titled October. And it's something I'll be preparing to do because in October I plant my garlic. And it's almost <laughs> garlic season to plant. So, listening to Runa sing Dancing in the Graveyard while I plant my garlic. Listening to Runa sing Dancing in the Graveyard while I plant my garlic. And Runa's a Irish folk band. And one of their songs I like the video of Dancing in the Graveyard. So I was listening to it. A couple of years ago, I did a birthday shirku for my wife. To-do list or not, I choose living and loving you as my priority. So shirku is happy birthday. To-do list or not, I choose living and loving you as my priority. Yeah. That is nice. Yeah. A few years prior, I had been going to... Uh, the Dodge Poetry Festival, four days usually every two years. So it actually is coming up 2024 in Newark, in case people want to go. Tickets are still available. So this was from 2016. The shirku is harmony. One guitar, two violins, three sisters. Their voices take us to harmony. One guitar, two violins, three sisters. Their voices take us to harmony. One of the things that had been happening and they were incorporating that year and they've done it in other years, some more or less, um, is to have musical interludes between the poets so that you're not just hearing all the words, you get some music, etc. So actually there was a reading of Rumi uh, by Coleman Box and Robert Bly and accompanied by uh, Paul Winter and the Winter, Paul Winter concert. It was just a, almost a religious, mystical experience, the way it was done with the music and the words, background, etc. Another one from that 2016 festival, Shirku, is so far. If we only go so far, floorboards show wear patterns, snowy drifts, receding waves. If we only go so far, floorboards show wear patterns, snowy drifts, receding waves. 
And then the final one, also from that same period, Shirku is westward. Racing west, the sunset paints glory in patches, changing with each long curve. Racing west, the sunset paints glory in patches, changing with each long curve. I had taken the train from Providence down to New York, so as the curve <laughs> train was going around the curve at sunset, <laughs> you were getting that picture as we went west to New York, mm. New Jersey, ultimately. Yeah, it's a, it's a scenic ride, because I took it when I was a kid to mm-hmm. see my uh, cousins at West Point, and I took it from Braintree to New York, and it's a very scenic ride. It is. Yeah. It is indeed. I took it from uh, Route 128, I think the Grand Central. Yep. Yep. And I think it's still there. You can, oh, yeah. you can still take the train from there. Yep. Yeah, both places. And I was a kid. It, it was, it was it's my first time being alone by myself, mm-hmm. and it was an experience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. indeed. <laughs> that I'll never forget. So. so I think that wraps up this session. So we hope you enjoyed our explorations as we looked through a variety of, from parables, talking about things of value, through a hard day's night, uh, Trader Joe's in multiple vehicles and automobiles, (laughs) particularly ones with red, (laughs) (laughs) and stories of a variety of topics. Uh, you You are welcome to join us at the Franklin Senior Center if you're in the Franklin area. If you're from outside of Franklin, contact the Franklin Senior Center or here at the studio. We also have a Zoom option as we join and get together weekly. So for this session, we thank you for your listening and thank all of the participants for sharing. Until next time. Thanks for being with us here on Senior Story Hour. Until the next time, I'm Peter Jay. Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaning, experiences of life become a little larger when you share them, when you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write. This is FPR, Franklin Public Radio.